Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. Tell your friends. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Nyla Schwab. Big news here on the Gifted Life Podcast today, right? No doubt. We'll be talking to a return guest who's bringing us big news about bone marrow research. And we're also going to learn what congruency is and what it's not. Learning today here on the Gifted Life. A lot of us are incongruent, so we want (laughs) to find out what we are so we can become better. All right. Put your thinking caps on. Here we go. guys here on the gifted life podcast we invited him back (laughs) he's back kevin caldwell with osseum health how are you I am doing well, and thanks for having me. Good. We were prepping for the interview, and we were like, man, the last time we talked to Kevin here on the podcast was in 2019. Can you guys believe? No, oh, that's I crazy. I know. That's great wow. to have you back. It's great to be here. So back in 2019, there was some research, some promising things that we were, we were watching, and we have you back because we understand you have some big news. So we are so excited that you're back. But can you kind of take us back to where this started? Yeah. So, you know, we started... Osseum back in 2016. And we really spent the first five years of the company's history um, developing partnerships with, you know, OPO partners like yourself and um, getting research vertebral bodies. So, you know, our OPOs recover the vertebral bodies of organ donors for us and send those to our facility in Indianapolis where we were working on developing a process for recovering bone marrow from organ donors. Um, Up until now, bone marrow transplants have basically always been done from living volunteer donors. There's been about 1.5 million bone marrow transplants done around the world over the last seven decades, and virtually all of those were from living volunteers. And one major consequence of that is that it takes some time to find someone who's ready, willing, able, and healthy enough to be a bone marrow donor. And many of the patients with blood cancers who need those that bone marrow don't have time. And so, you know, about 45% of the people who go looking for a bone marrow donor historically have not found one in time. Many of those blood cancer patients would either either die um, during the waiting process or become so weak they're no longer eligible for a transplant. And so when we spoke in 2019, we were, Austin was really focused on demonstrating that it was possible to get clinical grade transplantable bone marrow from an organ donor. And so we succeeded at developing a process that the FDA agreed was high enough quality that it could be used clinically uh, in 2020. And so what they we we shared our process with them and they determined that our product was not significantly different from living donor bone marrow and could be used in a similar way. And so what we are now doing is we are launching a clinical trial that actually uses the bone marrow that we have banked um, from our organ donors to treat patients with blood cancers. And we're particularly focused on patients with acute myeloid leukemia and acute lymphoid leukemia who don't have other options. Patients who looked for a living volunteer who could be a match, were unable to find a match, and that without osseum would, would not have any hope for receiving a bone marrow transplant at all. And so we're doing that study in partnership 
with the National Merit Donor Program, or NMDP, Be The Match. Um, they are the largest uh, sort of national bone marrow registry in the world. Um, they do by far the most transplants of any registry in the world. They are the clearinghouse for bone marrow transplants in the United States and, and the authority on bone marrow transplantation. And we're working closely with them um, to provide this new source of cells for the, the many patients each year who are unable to get a transplant in the current system. And so um, that study has been approved um, by the IRB, and we're currently signing centers up to participate in that study. And there's about, there, there's, let's say there's about 10 bone marrow transplant centers around the United States that have agreed to, to participate in the study. And so we'll be doing, we'll be enrolling the first patients in that study uh, this fall. Um, and so that is our sort of flagship uh, clinical program from our, our baseline uh, bone marrow product that we call HPC Marrow. Um, we do have a handful of other clinical programs, some of which are already we've already treated patients on, and I can talk about those as yes, well if you like. We'd love to hear about all of it. It all excites me. Okay. Okay. Great. You know the the traditional use of uh, bone marrow in transplantation was to do what we call hematologic reconstitution, where you have a person who has a malignancy of their bone marrow um, and their, their native bone marrow needs to be replaced or ablated uh, with new bone with new cells from a donor and they get a new immune system. That's one traditional application of bone marrow transplants and it's what the study I was just talking about does, but there are other use cases as well. And one of those use cases is um, organ transplant uh, tolerance. And this is one that we're already doing in the clinic right now. We actually already have patients that have um, undergone this procedure. And basically the way this application works is someone gets an organ transplant. Today in our study, it's organ transplants that are relatively rare, like intestine transplants. Um, in the future, we hope to do this for kidney transplants as well. But in any event, someone gets an organ transplant and under today's standard of care, they're on immunosuppression. So the rest of their lives because their native uh, immune system recognizes the organ as foreign and attacks it. The immunosuppression weakens their immune system, so they delay rejecting the organ, but of course they, for the rest of their lives, are immunocompromised and at risk of infection, um, high elevated risk of cancer, and they eventually reject the organ anyway. Uh, typically within about 10 to 12 years, most organs are, are eventually rejected. And so the idea behind um, the, the tolerization protocol that we're doing in the clinic now is we give the patients an infusion of bone marrow stem cells from their organ donor, from the same person that in this case they got the sort of intestine and stomach and liver and all these things that we're transplanting in this multivisceral uh, context from the same donor. And so that creates a state in the recipient that we call hematopoietic mixed chimerism. And we describe an organism, and in this case a person as a chimera, if they produce uh, if they're producing cells from two distinct organisms at the same time. And so in other words, after we give a bone marrow cell infusion to the organ recipient, they will produce blood and immune cells from both their own native immune system and their organ donors. If you take a sample of their blood, you would see two distinct genetic signatures. And we actually measure this chimerism in the study, and we want at least 4% of their immune cells to be derived from their organ donor um, after 12 months. And what we find is that this chimerism is very tightly uh, correlated to or connected to the patient's acceptance of the organ. And so we did the first procedure of this kind uh, a couple of years ago, 2021, actually. So just about two years after the last time I was on your show, we, um, we did a multi-organ transplant 
at Columbia University for uh, a patient who, you know, had suffered short bowel syndrome and needed a new intestine and was suffering multiple organ failure. And we gave them, uh, we, we recovered vertebral bodies from the organ donor right there in the OR at the same time. Uh, someone from our team drove those VBs to our facility. We processed them um, and then we delivered them, we delivered the cells back to uh, Columbia, the stem cells for an infusion 11 days after the organ recovery. And that first patient is still alive and well now. He uh, has been released from the hospital and is, you know, moving moving on with his, his new lease on life, with his new organ and his new chimeric immune system. And so we start with these relatively rare transplants precisely because um, they are very, they're, they're very challenging under the standard of care. Um, the main reason why these sort of um, intestine transplants, for example, um, are rare is that uh, they're usually rejected. They're rejected about half the time. And so most mini surgeons just won't do them. Um, with uh, the idea behind our procedure is to prevent that, to make it possible to do these procedures without um, rejection and without, and with significantly less or no immunosuppression. And so it's possible for us to show results um, for reducing the risk of acute rejection with a relatively small number of patients for these studies. And so we begin um, with these as a proof of concept. Um, going forward, we'll eventually be tolerized. So the kidney transplants and our eventual goal is to make immunosuppression essentially obsolete, um, such that you know virtually any organ can be transplanted um, without risk of rejection. And the groundwork for that has already been laid now. Well, Kevin, I, I wish you guys would set your sights higher. <laughs> you should have seen Joey's face like, this is great stuff. <laughs> and Lori and I's faces were like, what? <laughs> Can you repeat that, Kevin? <laughs> the fact that you guys have taken such huge problems in the medical, uh, in healthcare, mm -hmm. and are on the verge of fixing both of these of, of being, you know, especially you talked about the blood cancers, about the le leukemia, AML and ALL. You know, there's so many. You talked about the fact that there's so many. Like It's a cure, right? Like if, if, if you'd have a match and Be The Match does a great job. I'm actually I'm actually on there. Uh, you know, I'm on Be, a, Be The Match for to be a potential okay. donor. I got swapped. Yeah, too. that match hasn't come for me yet. But I do understand there's so many times there's so many variables that take place mm -hmm. to where somebody might not be able to donate at that time. And you mentioned, you know, what did you say? 45% of people don't, don't receive that, that, you know, transplant in time. Right. And, uh, and, and so to have, you know, uh, this, this bank, so to speak, for you guys to, to bank bone marrow like this so that they can have it, you know, so that there's no weight it's it's something we've been looking forward to in the organ donation world for so long, you know, to be able to do something like that, you know. So what you guys have done there is is amazing. And then just taking what we're doing in the organ donation world and elevating it tenfold, you know, because the biggest the biggest challenge is rejection, and and by by treating that challenge, you're then immunosuppressing a patient further and further. So then you create more challenges, right? Like they, they, they become, you know, uh, to where the infection can pop up, opportunistic infections and things. And, uh, and they may have that as a challenge. So, so this has been one of those things in donation, in the donation world that's been unsolvable until now. And 
for you guys to to I, the the charismatic piece like is so above you know it's so much bigger than my brain can understand but but I do understand the fact that you know taking taking those cells from the you know especially the stem cells from the donor and combining it with the with the recipient and so that they don't see that organ as such a foreign object you know that's the part that makes sense to me and I'm I'm what I'm guessing this is pretty much what you're talking about and I'm trying to kind of explain it from a layman's term enabling that person to then have less and less re- anti-rejection medicine so that they don't have these rejection problems and uh, and infection. So did I kind of bottle that up in the more, uh, as I would say, Boudreaux-type layman's terms over here? <laughs> no, you, you, you got it. You definitely got it, Joey. And, you know, at the end of the day, what, what we're really looking at is we want people to have a quality of life after their organ transplant that's similar to what they had before they experienced organ failure at all. We want the transplant to be a cure for organ failure, not just a treatment. Just as a successful bone marrow transplant, we want to be a cure for blood cancer, not just a treatment for it. And anything that's a bona fide cure has to involve getting off of these drugs that sort of inhibit um, our quality of life for the rest of the person's life. And so I think you captured what we're trying to achieve and, and how very well. So a lot to process. <laughs> and then it sounds like, oh, that's so simple. Like, yeah, of course, right. let's do it, which is, is amazing. So um, so we have a couple of questions, but, um, you know, here you have to, to opt in. And, and so you have to say, yes, I'd, I'd like to be a, uh, an organ donor. And you put it on your license and you tell your next of kin. So how does that work if you're recovering bone marrow? What does that look like? And then what do you tell Uh, the potential recipients that we'll be receiving? Like, what does that process, I guess, looks like, if you could tell us? Right. So LOPA and and our other, you know, OPO partners will all um, include recovery of retrieval bodies for bone bone and marrow in the request that they give to, in their their conversations with the next of kin after the time of death. And so you, you authorize consent for, for bone and bone marrow in much the same way you would for any other tissue. Um, and when people are signing up to be an organ donor, I think in general, they're signing up for, for everything. And so this is just included. We've done everything we can to really build, you know, bone marrow at, as for osseum into the broader existing sort of organ and tissue recovery ecosystem. And so it's consented like everything else. Okay. I have a question. So... This is going to be like 101 for the non-clinical population. <laughs> and so since I work with families after donation, I find sometimes when we're talking to families, they're like, yes, 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 because they want to help someone. So they are going to say yes to research, yes to transplant. But then afterwards, they're trying to really understand it and process it um, because they've had the, the the funeral and now their things are settling down for them. So in simple terms, when somebody says yes to research for the bone marrow, what would you say, what would you tell a family that they can understand that how this gift will be used moving forward? Right. And so, you know, we... Um, but you got to break it down and family. keep it really simple for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So, so, you know, we love for families to consent to everything because certainly we do a lot of research, but also we, we are clinical now. And so even if they only consent to, for clinical, we can still use the, the gift for a bone marrow transplant. And so if the family says yes, right, and um, then retrieval bodies from their loved one will be recovered, um, we, we provide 
a prosthetic that can be used that's designed to maintain kind of the integrity of the body okay. during the funeral and things and the structure. Um, and the uh, the bone and marrow is sent to our facility, the VBs for processing. And then the bone marrow gets added to the bone marrow transplant registry. And so just as there are millions of living volunteers around the world who are in the registry such that they can be called upon to donate bone marrow, the marrow that we process from the donors will be added to, um, will be in the registry. Um, and we get a genetic information on the donor, the HLA type, the human leukocyte antigen type. You can, it's, it's what we use to, to figure out if two people are match for each other. The closer they are, mm -hmm. the better the donor is able to give bone marrow to the recipient. And we type all that information and we include that data um, in, in the registry. And so basically, if they sign up for retrieval body donation, then what they're really signing up for is to enable their loved one to be considered as someone who could treat a blood cancer patient in the future. And that might happen a few months after the tissue is recovered and the bone marrow is added to a bank, or it could happen many years later depending on when there happens to be a match. So um, so their gift, basically, whether you're a living bone marrow donor or a deceased bone donor marrow, wait. But, bone marrow donor. Thank you. So that you have the opportunity to save the life yes. in the future, which it could be within a year or it could be several years down, but there's going to be that opportunity that that gift can save lives. That's right. For cancer patients? Yes, okay. exactly. For, for, for blood cancer patients. And part of the power of our approach is that, you know, when we, when we after we process the bone marrow, we cryopreserve it. And so it's, it's frozen to very low temperatures. And at those temperatures, there's no biological or chemical activity at all. The cells are completely inert and we can keep them for decades. And so the cells can be kept for 30 years and then thawed and oh, transplanted. Wow. And so what that enables us to do is it could be that the best donor for a recipient just doesn't happen to be someone who's available to donate now. It could be that the best theoretical donor for them is someone who passed away many years ago. We are removing the need for the person to be available at a specific time. We're kind of eliminating that barrier and allowing someone who's passing now to save the life of someone many years in the future or in the immediate future. Another thing that is really powerful about our approach is that we're able to obtain much more bone marrow from an organ donor than you could ever take from a volunteer who's still using their, their bone marrow. And so we're able to do multiple transplants per donor. And so, you know, if someone chooses to give for bone marrow transplants, um, they're not just potentially saving one life. They could save several lives of different blood cancer patients because of how many cells we're able to get from the donation. So it's very, very powerful. Wow. Thank you. Okay. A plus for breaking it down. <laughs> Thank you. So Kevin, you know, so I'm, as I'm thinking about this, and I guess I'm, I'm probably taking some of Nyla's thunder a little bit with, so she works in family services and they do a lot with uh, correspondence with you know, the donor families and recipients, and sometimes they, you know, they, they want to meet, and of course, they go through us, and, and Nyla's one of the ones that, that helps facilitate and make it happen. I'm wondering, like, 
for this, this is so amazing to me. Like it really, like I, you, you have to understand when I came in today, like, and I realized we were in an interview and you, I really was like super excited because yeah, this is stuff. That's true. It really is. <laughs> like, it's so, it's so exciting. Uh, is there a, is there a thought from you guys that maybe a tracking mechanism would be put in place to where someone who has leukemia uh, and is saved by this person's loved one, then then we would be able to get that information back so that we can then follow up with, you know, so that we, we can then correspond like we do with, with mm-hmm. organ transplants. I'm one, I know that's we're very... This is very new, right? But but I'm wondering if there's anything that you guys have thought about. So that's that that's very interesting. And so the the question is, is there a way to kind of link up the recipients of right. the bone marrow, the, the the donor families? Um, so that's very interesting. Um, you know, I think I know that that's been really powerful in the organ transplant context when that's done. Um, and I think the first thing, the first question I would look at there's well in the current system where you have living people who are donors who often are unrelated uh, donors you know in that situation it would actually be possible for the actual donor to meet with the recipient um, and one of the powerful things about bone marrow transplants even the, the ecosystem today is that it's one of the few ways that really that that anyone can really save the life of another person like truly truly give them a life-saving gift and so i um I don't know how often that is done now, actually, how often the unrelated donors actually meet with the, with the recipients. My sense is that it's, it's probably pretty rare, mm-hmm. but to the extent it's already done with living donor individuals, it could also be done with uh, deceased donor families. And I think we would just look to that person. That would be great. I know it's, uh, you know, that's, that's clearly, again, we're so in the infancy stage of this you know, uh, and you mentioned it could be years down the road, but I, I do think that that would be something amazing if we can get feedback like that at some point and uh, to be able to feed back to to our donor families to say, hey, look, I know last year we told you that your love, you know, your husband, uh, Tommy, you know, saved three lives through organ donation. But uh, I'm here to tell you now that he's actually saved a fourth life, you know, through right. his bone marrow transplant. Right. And, you know, that that is what I'm sure we could do. So I think providing information about the impact um, of their donation and new lives that have been saved through bone marrow, that definitely is something that we could do. Even if there's not an introduction to the actual person who receives the cells, I think notifying them that the cells were used in a transplant is is certainly something that will stand up over time. Pretty powerful. I'm just amazed. Uh, I, I work out in the community. I work with our volunteers and and they do such a great job. And I always say in uh, my presentations, like, you never know what will happen tomorrow. Like, this is where we are today. But there are people like Kevin out there and who knows what will happen tomorrow. So I was watching this timeline. So you said you started in 2016, 2019, we visited with you and you're like, oh, we're trying some research. 2023, here we are. And then you said in the future, Okay, so my future would be far off. What is what is Kevin's future when you talk about getting to kidneys and then, you know, making immunosuppressants obsolete? Is that something that's in the next couple of, like we'll be talking to you next year? <laughs> Where are we? Yeah. 
You know, I think that the the four year interval that we've had between this call and the last one is pretty good. And so I think that if we were having this conversation in August of 2027, I expect that we would have data from uh, Tyler's kidney transplants um, and that we would have many, many, many patients who received bone marrow transplants for, for blood cancer uh, treatment already that we could talk about. This is crazy. So <laughs> you have totally wild us. Yeah, you really have. And, you know, a lot of it when you were talking, it's it's I'm not clinical. But I mean, I, I wrote down hope, possibilities, preventing rejection and lives saved. So thank you for you got the highlights. Yeah, that's what I needed. <laughs> oh, man. Thanks for the visit. We're going to uh, leave the mic open for you. So, you know, next breakthrough, you come back here. And you let us learn from you again. I look forward to it. Hey, Thank you, you, for me. you what, can you share like your favorite story? Like your something that like, I don't know, that stuck with you while you continue to do this? It probably comes from the first, uh, the first patient that we treated who got the multivisceral transplant. So, you know, um, historically, if, if you had sort of short bowel syndrome and you needed uh, you needed a sort of a new, a new intestine and you were having multiple organ failure, you needed a new, new stomach, new liver, et cetera, you, you pretty much um, would be, you know, put in, you know, palliative care and would sort of prepare to move on. Um, and because even if they did the transplant, which is difficult and expensive and, um, and risky, people usually wouldn't live that long afterwards. And we um, had just launched this, uh, tolerization program where the vision and the goal was that we would give people decades of life after the transplant, not just months or even a few years. And it was, you know, considered inconceivable on it um, uh, just before. And, and the patient, um, I can't give too many specifics about the patient, but he was a young person um, and who with his whole life ahead of him. And I think had started to accept that there wasn't going to be an opportunity to live the rest of that and, you know, learned from our study when he signed up for it, that actually there was a shot at, you know, living to have children and, and, and grandchildren. And so I think just creating that real possibility uh, for someone um, was incredibly meaningful uh, to us. And there's something about the, the wonder of the first time that something is done that's particularly inspiring for us as a company. And our, our goal is to have many, many firsts. Um, and so, and I look forward to talking to you about the next set of firsts uh, the next time you have me on. Wonderful. OssiumHealth.com, O-S-S-I-U-M Health.com. Kevin, it's a pleasure. Until next time. Thank you. Take care. are taking a moment for mental health here on The Gifted Life. Yeah, Laura, are we talking about big words and I'm not 100% sure what it means? <laughs> Is it math? I don't, what? I it's know, happening. right? I like, I like this word. Are you congruent? Um, 
you know, what it means is basically there's there's uh, most of y'all have heard of Carl Rogers. He's a humanist psychologist, which mm-hmm. is he's just really about the relationship between a, like a therapist and the client being honest. And that's what this is really all about. It His definition is um, it's the state in which a person's ideal self and actual experience are consistent or similar. So really, do you walk your talk? Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a funny story. Um, when I was younger and my best friend was one year older, and I remember, I can tell you to this day what direction we were walking, <laughs> where in the block we were walking, we were walking, and she she blurts out this cuss word. And I looked at her because she was a lot taller than me. Not a lot, but I mean, she was taller than me. And so I look up at her and I'm thinking, and I, I can see her, I can see her just walking like, so content with her word. And I said, why did you say that? And and then she just thought for a long time. And I rem- I can see her face now. And she goes, because it felt so good. <laughs> and that is congruency. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's really being honest and taking time to your thoughts and checking in with yourself and then being that person that that you say you're going to be. So uh, honesty and, and how, like, I know that a lot, I said, I don't know, a lot of times I sit there and I can wonder, okay, what should I say? Is that the right thing to say? Is that polite? Being in the South, we say a lot of things because it's polite. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really checking in with yourself and thinking about who you are. So have y'all ever been incongruent? Because Carl Rogers says that most people deal with incongruency. Right. I have been. I can tell you. You know, it's it's. I try, and and I, I so especially when I'm in the car, I kind of do a like a, a self assessment check, and and I you know when I'm alone, I, I you know as you guys know, I, I travel quite a bit, and most of the time I'm alone in the car, and I, I think about like, all right, I need to make sure this is who I want to be, and I need to make sure that this is who I am, like who I'm portraying and not portraying not like i'm acting but no. making sure that this is what is you want your people, behaviors to line pe- up my, with my behaviors lining up who with you want to be who i who i think i am and who i want to be mm-hmm. and so i i recognize that sometimes you know a lot of times things aren't going the way that i want them to go you know and and whether it's work whether it's family whatever you know friends and and it 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 may it it doesn't make you, you make yourself, but, but it, at least for me, allows me to become more incongruent. It's easier to take a more incongruent path at that point. And that's why to me doing the self checks, you know, in the car and trying to make sure that congruent. I'm congruent. It's like right, your guardrails. Re- realign, yeah, realign, you yeah. know, to where it's aligning I, with I wanna, your values. Right. That, that's right. exactly it. And then for me, my job, like I'm loud and proud. I know it's hard for y'all to believe, <laughs> but I'm loud. But then when I go into a new group, especially if it's like my kids' new team or something like that, I'm like, Laurie, just calm it down and let them get to know you a little bit before you like true selves all <laughs> all out there, well, right? You can because read a room. It could be that's your. I mean, you have I, a gift. I could be a lot. I know yeah. Joey said no, but no. I, right. Uh, I could be a lot. I get it. Because I'm a lot too. So <laughs> I, I think I can be a lot too. <laughs> but then I'm, I'm just like, let's just maybe try quiet. Maybe try quiet today. See how that works. But you, know, you can like, you can, you know, when you step in to being congruent, mm-hmm. you feel aligned. That's a great word for it. 
And you also know when you're stepping out of that. When you walk right. out of a conversation, you're like, why do I feel ick? weird? I feel yeah. ick. Yeah. And then I'm like, ugh, that's not really, I want it to say this. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I held back. You know, maybe I just couldn't think of it fast enough. But there's some there's some tips or questions to ask yourself to make sure that you're staying in that that um, your lane. But are you walking your talk? Um, do you do you believe what you say you're saying? Um, and then do you do you know your values and are you living your values? And I guess you know another one that you can say is, can you fully express yourself? And that's kind of like you, Lori, that you know who oh, you I are. Can. I'm just trying to find timing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just, you know, this is all stuff. I mean, in a few minutes, you can't, you know, you can't solve the world, but you can certainly be curious about your joy, your contentment, who you are, and, and how you're going to show up in the world to make it a better place. So that's how I start my day. Help me, lead me to where I can make the world a better place because we're part of it. Yeah. Well, Lori, thank you for being you. Joey, too. Joey, thank you for being you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I was and looking at Lori. you too. Maybe you have a topic you'd like us to cover here on The Gifted Life. We'd love to hear from you guys. All you have to do is shoot us a quick email, info at thegiftedlife.org. We always enjoy receiving questions from our listeners. And so in this episode, we have one. So Joey, I think this is all yours. When I register as a donor, does it also mean I'm registering to be a donor for research? And is that the same as donating your body to science? It's a great question. And we've talked about research before. We've talked about body to science, but we haven't actually framed it in this way. And and because this is very important for people to understand, when you register as a donor, some registries allow you to be specific, about well, I want to donate, you know, some even go as specific as which organs, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's for just for transplant, whether it's transplant and research. Uh, and then and then others, you know, it will just allow you when you say yes to donation, will allow you just to say yes in general. And it'll it'll put transplant and research on there. Mm-hmm. So so that's kind of one distinguishment. But the other piece I wanted to talk about is the body to science. Right. There's these two are not really related. Uh, so that when you sign up on the registry, it is for transplantation and then research, but not the body to science piece. That's something you would have to do. You'd have to look up, you know, and see which which uh, research institutions work with the body donating the body to science, and then actually sign on with them ahead of time. Yeah, because different states will offer, have different organizations. Yeah, different states have different organizations, different universities even, and different. it's a whole lot of different research places that will offer body to science, but it's not the same as the organ donation registry. They're completely separate. Uh, So just make sure if you're, I would just familiarize yourself, if, if I was you, I would familiarize yourself with both, with organ donation, with transplantation, with research, you know, options there and with the body to science separately so that you can see and make a, uh, an educated decision on what you want uh, to happen with your body after you pass. All right, good. All right, great question, guys. You have a question for us, give us a call, 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Michael Wattler. 
We learn about Michael through his family. When we got the call that Michael had been in an accident and that there was no chance of recovery, we already knew that he wished to be an organ donor. Three people were recipients of his kidneys and his liver. We are thankful that they received these organs and pray that they are doing well. Life will never be the same for us, but we know that he lives on. It is now our responsibility to make the good work of LOPA known and to make sure that friends, families, and groups that we are involved in understand the need to register as a donor. And now we pause and say thank you to Michael for the gift of life. And that is going to do it for episode 222 of The Gifted Life. Thanks for listening and learning with us, guys. And remember, you can register as an organ tissue and eye donor anytime. Registerme.org. I think we're all still in awe. I know, right? Mm-hmm. My, my brain's still swollen. Happening. Yeah. <laughs> Very special thanks to Kevin Caldwell of Osseum to come on and, and share with us where they are now. We talked to him last time. We said, we want to talk to you again when you guys have a breakthrough. And of course, while did they? You know, Two, two huge uh, conundrums in the healthcare world. One, how do you fix the leukemia problem that we've got to where, you know, you've, we've got Be The Match and they're doing a great job of matching living donors and, and recipients of people who have leukemia. But of course, as Kevin mentioned, that's, you know, we still need more. And right. to have yeah. that bone marrow bank, mm-hmm. to have, a, you know, that, that has exactly a potential match at the time someone is uh, is diagnosed with leukemia so that they can receive treatment now and not have to wait months to years and, and have all those complications that come with that. And then secondarily, or, you know, not secondarily, a, a, a second big conundrum that we've got is, is with the organ transplants and how to, to fight the whole rejection issue. You know, the more rejection medicine you give, the more patients susceptible to infection. So it's a delicate balance there. And for them to be able to use the bone marrow and of of the donor, so the so the whoever donated the kidney, the same bone marrow would come from that person. And then that way now the recipient has bone marrow stem cells that now see that kidney as not foreign anymore. So that, that mingles with its own. And that way now you might not need any anti-rejection medicine. So that's, that's, that's such cool. a great thought process. And I, I can't like, I obviously and never thought about anything like that, but <laughs> yeah. uh, it's amazing when work it that they're doing. it sounds simple now that they're doing it, you're like, oh, why, oh, did, yeah. why oh, yeah. have we done this? And the anti, anti-rejection medicine, that's that's hard on the other organs, right? Right. It's, it's hard on everything. It's protecting what's been... And expensive yeah. and hard on things the, that yeah. come with it. Yeah. So to, wow. have, so to have someone who, who's, who maybe would have lived another 10 years with a particular kidney, now might live 20 to 30 years with that same kidney. Like you're talking about lengthening the, the, that person's life because they're no longer needing these extra medicines that cause more complications. And the quality of their life without and the, the medication. Yeah. Amazing stuff. I love learning. Ah, 
I hope you enjoyed that as well. Tell your friends, guys. The best place to find us is at our website, thegiftedlife.org. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating. It really helps others find us. And on social media, we have a Facebook page, The Gifted Life Podcast. We ask that you check it out. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. We hope you give us a follow. We hope you enjoyed today, and we hope that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. Until next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Nala Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs>